Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Najarian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we have with us Stacy Patterson. How are you doing, Stacy? Fine, thank you. Uh, I have you on the phone today because you're an author, and you've released, I understand, your second book, uh, sequel to your first. Uh, I'm going to say the second book's name, Fidget's Folly. What was the first book's name? The first book was called um, Fidget's Freedom. And that was, uh, since this is the follow-up book, I'll tell everybody this is a book about, this is an, uh, what would you call this? Is it a children's book or a nature book? or? Well, you know, it's a children's book, um, although, you know, it's kind of geared for any age, really. Um, but the target audience is four to eight. Um, the basic background behind both the stories is, well, they're about the peregrine falcon, and in the 50s through the 70s, the peregrine population became severely endangered because of the chemical uh, DDT, and DDT was used as a fertilizer and right. to kill weeds, and, you know, small birds would eat the weeds and then and insects and then the peregrines would eat the small birds. And subsequently what would happen was they would absorb the, the uh, DDT in their bodies, and the calcium in the eggs would um, become so, so, uh, so, so thin, they could right? become so soft that they would, they would break. And it had right. a decimating effect on the peregrine population. And per, uh, falconers and scientists were, you know, became aware of this and became alarmed. You know, people have been working with peregrines for, you know, 3,000 years, you know, through falconry. And right. um, there's such a strong relationship between, you know, the man and falcon. And so people got together and thought, you know, what can we do about this? Okay, and let me so, back up a little bit um, because uh, I kind of want to know who is Stacy and, and how did she get involved with uh, with with peregrine falcons in the first place. So um, your background, I understand that uh, you received a bachelor of, a bachelor, your bachelor's in biology from the University of uh, California in Santa Cruz. Right. And um, you maintain state and federal permits to practice falconry. You, you actually have a peregrine falcon yourself that used to fly, as we talked about earlier. Right. And that is now retired. How did you get into that? Well, you know, I was... Um I saw my first peregrine up in Santa Cruz because they were actually involved with the peregrine recovery uh, movement that that's kind of the background of my book. And, you know, and I saw my first peregrine, and I was kind of captivated by it, but I didn't do anything about that. And I moved back to Los Angeles, and I had this kind of feeling like I wanted to work with wildlife, but I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I didn't right. have any specific goals. And, you know, one day I saw an ad on the um, news for the Wildlife Way Station up in Little Tahunga Canyon, and so I took oh, right. a trek yeah. up there. And I started volunteering there, and I was able to work in the, the hospital because my background is medical, and I was able to, to help take x-rays of the wildlife up there. And, I mean, it was just a fabulous, fabulous experience. And then I started working with hawks. 
and, you know, doing some elementary training to have them, you know, fly off and come back and so that they could learn how to hunt gradually so then they could be released and we know that they would be successful at hunting on their own. Right. And I moved to the South Bay area and started uh, doing wildlife rehabilitation and education with South Bay Wildlife Rehab. And one of the birds that came in in 1995 was a peregrine, and she was not releasable. She had a broken wing, and so she couldn't fly. And I started working with her, and I had her for probably seven years and just never looked back. You know, I was just hooked. (laughs) And so I've had a peregrine in my life, you know, in some way, of, or fashion since since then. So I've had a lot of experience with them. Okay, so you're working in the medical field. You got interested in, in the peregrine falcon. You started not only helping, you know, melding or marrying the, uh, your, what you do is work uh, to help the birds out, uh, ended up owning or having your own and, and flying it and really getting into it. So how does, how does, that, how does that become a first book? Well, you know, I, I somehow got the idea in my mind I'd like to write a children's story. You know, I mean, sometimes you just get these niggles in your mind. And, you know, <laughs> right. and it was kind of a strange thing where um, all of a sudden things on the Internet were coming up. You know, how do you write a children's book? How do you write a picture book? Um, and I just started doing it, you know, following what they were saying. I was just buying and looking at picture books and learning all about the format of them. And I was, one of the um, books had lessons, you know, right? three lines um, of a children's story, you know, and I just was sitting down one night and I came up with this character and I just realized it was a bird in a hack box. And hack boxes are are um, boxes that captive birds are put into after they are bred in the laboratory and that is where they subsequently are let out to learn how to hunt and people mm-hmm. would supply food until they were able to fend for themselves. And and the next morning, I was driving to work. I was on the 405 freeway thinking about it, and I just kind of said to myself, no, I wonder what the bird's name is. And this otherworldly voice came in my mind and said, her name is Fidget. And <laughs> since then, I just I started writing the story, you know, and it came out in a terrible, you know, amateurish form. I got some help from some other authors. I mean, things just kind of fell into place. There was a lot of serendipity. Mm-hmm. And I started working with the Raptor Education Foundation. They're based in Denver, Colorado. I have a good friend who works with them. And I sent her the story. She loved it. And through them, um, we started looking for an illustrator. And we went through a couple who, you know, they were interested for a while, but then they just, you know, they just kind of flaked out. And through the president of um, REF, the Raptor Education Foundation, he was able to connect with an old um, connection he had with a wonderful wildlife painter in Moscow, Russia, named Nadim Gorbatov. And through time, I mean, he ended up illustrating that both these books, and he just brought the words to life. It's just, it's just been an incredible experience. And I mean, you know, I at the time wasn't thinking about logistics of dealing with Los Angeles and Denver and Moscow, but right. you know, with the internet, it worked out. And well, first of all, you know, you were saying that you, you wrote a children's book, and it was funny because I was reading it, and uh, um, even though it's a large book, big type, wonderful, and these. The, 
Vadim's drawings are incredible. They're, um, I, I'm guessing they're watercolor mm-hmm. with extreme detail. Yes. And they're just magnificent on their own. Um, and, but I'm reading these along, just reading along, and I didn't feel like a kid. I didn't feel like you were sing-songing or treating me like, I mean, I think I just, you know, it was just, it's just as readable for an adult as a, as a child. Well, does that make sense? Yes, it does because um, it, it was very, very important to me that the birds remain birds. You know, they remain peregrines. You right. know, I didn't want to dumb them down. Um, you know, I do have to kind of express their thoughts in human language, but everything the birds do, they eat what they eat. Um, they fly the way they fly. They interact with one another. Their poses. You know, Vadim was able to. Everything is anatomically perfect about the birds. Right. And now he's able to picture in his mind the position they're in and then get it perfect is absolutely amazing to me. But, you know, the main thing I wanted to do with the stories, you know, whether it's for a child or for an adult, is to take a recovery program. You know, most animals do not get off the endangered species list once they're there. And for people to care enough to be so successful, it was so much work, so much dedication, but, you know, a lot of the literature is so dry. You know, right. I mean, you know, how many nest sites, how many young per nest sites, and statistics and analysis, and I wanted to take what these people did and bring it to a general audience so that other people can understand what a remarkable conservation success story this is, but it's also a story of what people can do when they get together. You know, if you care enough, if you're passionate enough about something, you know, you know and you don't know it's going to work, but you right. still put in the effort. You know, that's, to me, a lot of the message behind Fidget. She's telling us the story is about, you know, if you care about something, you know, if you get together with cooperative, like-minded individuals, you can do something like you, like you feel. You know, leave the planet better than the way you came. And, ah, you've been reading my stuff. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so that is a lot of, you know, the whole point behind Fidget. You know, that applies. And, and you know, I found, mo- I found multiple stories here because there's, you know, there's, there's moral stories, you know, and, the, 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 uh, you know, there's stories between Fidget and her brother, Echo. Mm-hmm. There's a story there. And, and also uh, the story of in the saving of, because you, you have the before and after section. Mm-hmm. You know, so that helps put kind of put into uh, perspective the story of the falcon and, and, and why it's so important that that we help save them. Um, so there's, there's so many little stories here, and and so I really enjoyed it on many different levels. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's 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 very rewarding. You know, to hear, you know, when you do all, you know, put so much effort into something to have people understand it, you know, right. and to well, get me, it. I do have one question, though. Sure. One of the, one of the things that, that it, it – I, I don't know if you thought about this or, or if it's ever come up, but one of the things in this book, um, it is very it – it's pretty – it's not graphic. The pictures are not graphic necessarily, but it, there's a – you know, you, are, you define the catching and eating of animals by the birds uh, – rather distinctly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You talk about it very openly and freely, and since it's a children's book, uh, you know, maybe parents should know this before they start getting into the story with their child, that they might have to explain that, those things. Is that, does that make sense? 
Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I created the story, and I feel as sorry for the little bird, you know, that Fidget catches. You know, the, the, you know, as anybody else would be. I have the biggest heart, you know, when it comes to that stuff. But but the reality is that's what falcons do, and right. and they have to do that in order to survive. And I think to a certain extent, you know, kids have gotten really removed from what wild life is and the wild world and you know when i first started working with yeah chicken comes in a chicken is born in a in a big uh, cardboard barrel right yeah you know it comes you know <laughs> it, it is born in a plastic bag you know plastic wrap and and um when we first started working with the birds you know kids would come up and the birds if they if they get real still you know kids would say oh i didn't know it was alive you know and the birds would move a little bit or open their eyes or blink but now it's getting really really hard to tell the difference between a real animal and animatronics and you know everything that disney does and i think that they're shaping kids view of what wildlife is and it does kind of get away from what these animals really are i mean one of the the um men that bought my first book you know his daughter is a vegetarian you know and i said well fidget's not you know and i mean i appreciate <laughs> where he's coming from i really really do but right. but i understand what you're saying you know but it's Again, I wasn't willing to compromise. And I don't think you should have. I actually agree with the reality aspect. I don't think that I, I don't believe that kids should be coddled that much because you you can't you can't teach them the Disney World and then throw them out at eighteen into the real world and have them survive. Somewhere along the line, they have to learn what's what. Um, I just wanted to put it out there so that people that you know so that. Yeah. Uh, someone who know when they had this book, if they had an issue with that, then you know then. Uh, just wanted to put it out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the reality of the book, the reality of the pictures, the reality of the story, I mean, because this, this, is, this, this is a story that happens all the time, uh, right with the group, the hack uh, assistants. Yeah. It's something I they mean, do they, a lot. They don't have to. Well, right now the peregrine populations are doing well. I okay. don't think that anyone is breeding peregrines for the wild, or at least not on any, any large scale. Um, but the techniques, they, um, a lot of groups have moved on to different species that are endangered. Right. You know, so they're able to, you know, expand the, the initial programs. And it turned out that, you know, basically because of the peregrine's relationship with man, um, through the years, and you know, people were able to come up with you know understanding their behavior and taking techniques and modifying them um, to create a situation where you're not just letting birds go for training, but you know, letting birds go for eventual release. Right. And you know, and the, and the hack site attendants, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of hippies, you know, in the '60s, you know, it was a thing to do <laughs> in that time. And and um, but you know, it must it must have been very tedious. Too. I mean, you know, camping for weeks on end, watching these birds, and most of them didn't make it. You know, I mean, most eighty oh, percent of the birds don't make it the first year anyway. And then, you know, when you've got these little nestlings and you put them out and you're invested in them, and then they get killed by eagles or, you know, or any sort of survival issues out there, it had to have been very disheartening too. You know, but you know, but. They stuck with it, and they, you know, and the peregrine was taken off the federal endangered species list on August 25th, 1999, and you know it was a historic day to to um, bring these birds back. And now the populations are, you know, most places are just fine. 
That's great. That's really good news. Um, anyway, this uh, this is the book is Fidget's Folly, and it's written by Stacy Patterson, uh, who we're speaking to right now. And um, this is a, I think is a, a I actually learned something about the whole hack uh, procedures and everything from this book. So I would say that this book is for um, this is for it's a great book for children, especially if you're somebody who wants to teach your kids about the environment and about um, endangered species and, and, and have them understand those kind of things. Um, but I think it's a book that anybody can read and gain, gain something from. And um, uh, it's beautiful. Um, water sketches are just incredible. And that's, that's, that's a, a reason in, in and of itself to get the book. Well, you know, the other thing that the Vadim not only, you know, I don't know how he can take a raptor and give it expressions and make it look like a kid in feathers. I mean, I don't know how he did that, but but not only did he do that, every single plant in all the illustrations, every single animal is appropriate for time, place, and elevation and season. So it's also a natural history book. And, you know, he was in his studio in Moscow, you know, mm -hmm. painting a Colorado landscape, which to me is also phenomenal. I mean, he speaks some English, and I, I did meet him in 2006. Mm -hmm. But, you know, his, his, you know, his second language is English, you know, so fortunately it's not that hard of a book to translate. But, you know, everything had to, you know, go through all these different layers to get to him and to get back. And I just, I'm just tickled, you know. I mean, whenever I would see, you know, different generations of the illustrations come back from, from Moscow, and just to see him bringing it to life, you know, it would just always bring tears to my eyes because he just does such a fabulous, fabulous job. And all his paintings, he does a lot of paintings of wildlife and old historic falconry. And they're just stunning, stunning pieces of work. Yeah, my favorite one is the bears. Oh, yeah. I know. The, and the, that baby bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get, I've been staring at that for the longest. I keep, I keep going back to that page for some reason. It's just an incredible. And, yeah. and every, every page has a wonderful illustration of some type on it um, done by Vadim. It's, it's beautifully, it's just beautifully done, beautifully worded. You did a great job telling the story. Um, again, this is available. Fidget's Folly, F-I-D-G-E-T apostrophe S. Uh, by Stacy Patterson, illustrations by Vadim uh, Gorbatov, and you. This is available, I'm guessing, on uh, the reg at all the regular places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Do you have a special uh, pricing on your site or anything? Um, I I don't sell it on my site unless people wanted an autographed copy. They could contact me. My website is www.fidgetbooks f i d g e t books dot com, and it's sold at um, REF. There's a link on my website to REF and Amazon and Mountain Press. And Mountain Press is the uh, the publisher. Oh, wonderful! Let me ask you, since I I have a lot of authors that um, listen to the you know, to listen to um, the interviews on. On Purpose Magazine. Uh, this is your second book. Is, is it your second book with Mountain Press? No, the first one was um, printed with, um, uh, it was Moonlight Publishing. Okay. And that was in 2006. And uh, when you, obviously, like you said, you went and Googled and searched and looked and, and things kind of came together serendipitously. But uh, after you got it written and put all together, uh, Mountain Press helped you with all that, that kind of stuff? 
Well, you know, we kind of did things backwards um, because typically most publishers, you know, they they like to if they if they pick up a story, they like to engage the illustrator themselves. And we had already started with you know, Mountain uh, uh, Moonlight did not opt to pick up the second book, but we had already started with the demon. We wanted that continuity, and we knew that he was just so superior at what he did. So, you know, we we took a gamble, and we you know we had him illustrate the second book without knowing um, how we were going to get it published. And you know, you know, I looked at self publishing, and and um, Anne Price, who's a curator of Raptors at REF had a friend who had a book published at Mountain Press, and we just kind of cold called them, and they were interested. And so um, we worked with them collaboratively to get it um, from where we were with the story and the illustrations into the actual book form. Did you find the whole the process of publishing, uh, you know, notwithstanding the writing, uh, a tough one, or was it fairly enjoyable for you? It was extraordinarily tough. You know, whenever I talk to people, you know, people always say, "Oh, you know, I, I have a children's story inside my mind," and it's like, you know, you have to be you have to be totally naive when you start because I don't think you would do it, which is probably true with a lot of things in life. But right. it was so it's so much uncertainty, and again, you know, I liken our journey with getting both fidgets to press, not unlike the, the pioneers. Who who ultimately saved the peregrine? In that, you know, there were many days we were going step by step, you know, breath to breath, not knowing if everything we were going to do was going to come to any fruition or how we were going to do it. But it was just, you know, perseverance and teamwork. I mean, just, you know, when Ann Price and I, we were the two that were really driving it. And I mean, there were days when we, you know, we would just bolster each other up to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And to ultimately, I mean, I still look at the second book. I wrote this initial story, you know, 10 years ago, and I still kind of can't believe it's in, you know, 3D form. Like, it, it's really, really out there. It was <laughs> so much work. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, the things I've learned from it, too, is, you know, I apply to everyday life when things get stressful. You know, it's, I've been there, done that with fidget, and, you know, and these are the coping mechanisms that I did then, and they apply to so many aspects of life. But it's hard. It, well, the public industry you because, is you know, hard. Yeah. Let me ask you, because a lot of... Uh, a lot of the authors I speak to seem to come up, it seems to be a, a running theme, and that is that they believe the book can be really hard to write when they think about writing a book, and then they get it written, and then now the publishing hurdle becomes the next biggest thing that's really tough. And then they are done publishing, and they have the book in hand, and then they realize they've just started the journey because now they have to promote and, and, and market because uh, most people have found out that if you build it, they will not come kind of scenario. Right. Um, did you need? You, it's like, in order to win the lottery, you need to buy a ticket. In order to get for somebody to read your book, they got to know it exists. Right. Um, so this this is the journey you've just started, correct? Yes. You know, with the first book, um, we didn't have a whole lot of exposure for you know for various reasons, and I was just kind of. Um, doing my own marketing and and REF you know certainly would sell books at their events and I would sell some books locally mm-hmm. um you know but I think that what probably a lot of authors will tell you I mean the creative process is an internal one and it's you're by yourself and it has its own pressures but 
it's a real different thing to sit down by yourself and or in front of a computer and start typing and and getting things out. It's another thing to be a social animal and have to reach out. It's just completely different <laughs> parts of the the equation. And a lot of times right. people are really good at one part, not necessarily good at the other part. And a lot of writers, it is hard to get yourself out because writing is a more of an introverted um, thing. Right. So, I think a lot of writers are turning to the blogosphere because of that, because they can build community and meet people mm-hmm. by writing. Yeah. Right. And so if you're if you're not a, if you're not somebody who can get in front of people and speak, and I know you've been speaking, uh, have you found that to, to be tough for you, or it's getting easier? The speaking. Yeah. Oh, you know, probably it's easier. You know, it, like anything, you know, a little bit of practice. Um, it, it you helps know, to be it, passionate it, about your book, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, you know, when I've you know when I've done book readings, um, you know, it's it's fun. I, I got a fair amount of experience with that. I was volunteering at the um, aquarium at the Pacific in Long Beach, and I would do a story time there and with the first book. And so, you know, the thing that you also learn when you you know you write a children's book is Kids don't lie, and you know, I mean, they don't—they don't sit there and be polite if they don't want to. I mean, you really do have to engage them. They're the hardest audience. Oh yeah. You know, and so well, if they're bored, they let you know. They'll walk away. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. There's no just sitting there, you know, politely. I mean, they do, you know, but but you know when they're not they're not uh, happy. So you just kind of have to start to learn some techniques. And but certainly, I think that reading children's books make you a better speaker. I mean, you know, you have to. You have to enunciate the words, you know, when when you're writing a children's book, you have to say it aloud all through the editing process because you're always aware that an adult's going to be reading it. And right. You want, you want it to be, to be readable. And hopefully, you know, a kid's going to like it long enough to want the parent to read it over and over and over. <laughs> so you want them to be able to read it over and over and over. Well, let me ask you, if you uh, write again, and since you've done two, you'll probably do three. Oh. But if you write again, will you go through? Uh, would you rather go through a house, or would you change to um, self-publishing or publishing on demand or anything like that? Or do you kind of like going through a house now? Uh, you know, um, I I like it. A, a lot of the reason I like it is precisely for the reason that you mentioned. In that, you know, Mountain Press has a marketer. You know, she has. Her, that's what she does. You know, she knows where to go to to get exposure for the book, and it really helps to have someone who has experience with that. Um, so I think at this point in time, you know, my preference is to go through a house. I, you know, it, it, at this point in time, I'm not look. I, there is a third story written, but I'm not looking at going anywhere with it at this point. I, I'm concentrating on the exposure of the second book, you know. Um, right. But um, so I think I would probably, if, with my brothers, I probably would go with a publishing house. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time, Stacey. We're, this is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine. We're speaking to Stacey Patterson, uh, author of what was the first book? Fidget's Freedom. Fidget's Freedom. And the second book, which I have in my hand right now, is Fidget's Folly. Excuse me. And uh, you can get that at your 
local bookstore, your bookstores, Amazon, REF, um, or look up uh, Stacy Patterson and um, check out. You had a, do you have a site? I, I think you said yes. you did. Yes, www.fidgetbooks.com. That's right. Uh, go to fidgetsbook.com and uh, check out uh, Stacy Patterson there. Stacy, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, it's been a wonderful interview, and I really enjoy, I really enjoyed your book. Um, you know, uh, children's books are not exactly the ones I usually read, um, but I really enjoyed this, and I really learned something, so that was great. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, JW. I'm, I really enjoyed talking to you as well. No problem. Everybody, uh, have a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Made in Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Made in Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.